0: we mm-hmm.
1: welcome to the situation report wait there we go okay sorry had it on loop welcome to the situation report it is wednesday november 8th it's lieutenant colonel murray that was a little uh theory of a dead man and uh first song was since you've been gone the second one was by the way and uh i forgot i had it set up on loop walked away but uh interesting week the uh Uh, I'll bring Troop on in just a second, and then uh, Colonel Conrad will be here as soon as he can be. It's uh, herding cats trying to get everybody online at the same time. But uh, the, the Joel Skosin interview blew up my email, which, you know, it cracks me up, because the whole point of doing these controversial interviews in the first place is to get a difference of opinion and different viewpoints on the show, so it's not an echo chamber. And whether you agree with him or not, I mean, some of the points he makes, you're like, uh, okay, not sure I agree with that, but okay. And you know, he's he's well respected in the prepper community because he's a guy that literally started that community in the '70s, and he's a guy that's that's written extensively, and you can buy his books on PDF. They're actually very, very well written, very well researched, and very well put together. And the whole point of the exercise was to give you more perspective. And what's gotten us into trouble as a country, as a military, and as a society is that we we tend to look at things from a very myopic viewpoint. If you've listened to me for a while, you've heard me say that in a number of different instances. Americans are like cancer patients in a lot of ways when you look at how we consume information. For decades, we were programmed to watch TV and to get the 15 second sound bites from TV. And a lot of people still form their opinions based on those 15 second sound bites. And most of us don't do any, any cursory research. And that's a universal across the board for most Americans. So digging into somebody who's actually done deep research on things, and he's not a slouch. He was an F four. He was a Marine Corps F four uh, Phantom pilot. We were we were talking about flying uh, before the show, and I told him, you know, I have been in the the T four A, and the uh, the A four C, which are both Skyhawks. Uh, they're Navy Navy fighters that were in the '60s, and. I was telling him that the F-4C is a sports car. It's a fast airplane. And we spent a few minutes talking about that. And he was talking about the F-4 and how the F-4 has got superior hydraulics. And it is a heavy airplane to fly, but it was um, it was a fun airplane to fly. And you talk to a guy like that, and you realize that he's incredibly smart. But like everybody else, he's got his view of the view of current events. And I'll do another show with him and dig down deeper into, you know, military-age males in the country but, uh you know, what his views of how things are going to develop, timeline. And we talked a little bit about it before the show. And that timeline before the show is he believes that 2027 is when we're going to see World War III with China because Russia and China aren't quite ready to start World War III or at least participate in it. And no matter how you feel about that, I, you, you probably, if you listen to the whole show, you heard me disagreeing in several places. Like we're not making it to 24. I, I, there's nothing in, there's nothing in my, uh, nothing in my body that tells me that we're making it to 24. And, you know, so we disagreed on that, but what you saw was a healthy disagreement and mutual respect for the fact that both of us come from different backgrounds, but we respect each other's opinion. And that's, that's the point of the exercise. It's not to agree on everything. It's not to buy into everything. It's to actually do some critical thinking and look at things from a different perspective, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the point of the exercise. And there'll be more people like that that are bring on the show. And right now, I'm actually trying to pin down Matt Bracken to get him back on the show this week, uh, probably on Friday if I can swing it with him. But the uh, the short answer is, is that I'll bring Matt back on and that that blew up my uh my channel as well. And it blew up my email. You know, you when you every day I get I get emails every day. <laughs> like today <laughs> I got an email, which I gotta call out because it was it was actually uh it was actually pretty nice. But uh so this is for Rich up in uh in Prescott. Thanks for the email, man. I appreciate it. That was actually very, very kind words. So, if I'm next time I'm up there, I'll let you know. And we'll break bread. But uh, yeah, thanks for the kind words. But every so often, you don't get those, right? I, I get trolls all the time, and I try not to respond to the trolls. I definitely don't leave their comments on uh, on Rumble. And uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. The biggest one is I'm not gonna I'm not going to encourage trolls across the channel because all they do is just create conflict. There's just no, there's no end state there that that ends out well for anybody or, you know, gives anybody any uh, meaningful conversation. So if you're wondering why comments are disappearing, that's why. So I got Troop on today. We'll have uh, Colonel Conrad on in a few minutes. Uh, I want to talk about the elections and Troop is a, he's a precinct council member here in Arizona. He's got his own opinion, uh, but I want to talk through Well, a couple of things. The first one is I stopped paying attention to politics in Arizona on November 8th of 2022, because that was the last time that it was apparent that any kind of election was going to happen. And the reality of it is we all knew what was going to happen. I said since then that they were going to institutionalize the cheating in all the swing states and start turning states blue. And that's exactly what they did in Virginia. Everybody rested on their laurels. Nobody put pressure on the the politicians in Virginia to institutionalize mail-in, or sorry, paper ballots. And look what happened. The other side of that, too, is that until we regain control of the counting centers, the Maoists will continue to sway elections in whatever direction they want to sway them into, with or without us. And no matter how much turnout turned out yesterday, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors did exactly what they did in 22, programmatic issues with the machines. So they pointed people to to polling stations that were closed. They they took predominantly Republican areas and moved polling stations and, and uh, directed people to polling stations where there was known issues. It's the same game. It's exact same game. And the, here's the frustrating part for me. The frustrating part for me is my phone and my email blow up because people are still hanging on to the old system. The old system's dead. The old system died in 2020 when they took the 2020 election. Since then, it's been a slow decline into the abyss. And still, you would think that that this election would have driven people to the streets. No, nothing. Crickets. And I think part of it's because people have just given up. And here's here's the reality of the situation: you pick up guns, they win. You don't pick up guns, they win. They've architected the situation so that either way they win. And that's not to say we can't win, because the way the way we we turn all of this around is mass non-compliance. Literally, they start to pass laws, nobody pays attention to them. Nobody follows the law. Nobody adheres to the law. There's not enough for them to roll everybody up. Nice try. But that's that's been the game since 2022 is to institutionalize the cheating. They've done it in Georgia. They've done it in Wisconsin. They've done it in Pennsylvania. They've done it in Arizona. They've done it in Nevada. And in Pennsylvania, programmatic outages of the machines all day long. It's The script is already written. They're just following their script. So you can't. You can't, up, you know, be upset at the enemy because they're doing exactly what they said they were going to do. So, you know, at the end of the day, the only way we take this back is mass non-compliance or through gunfire. And uh, I don't see people going after politicians like they are in Panama right now. In Panama, the place is full stop. And they're killing politicians because of the deal that they've made with China. And Troop, again, Troop called that out two years ago, called that out. So Troop, I... I been running my mouth long enough. It's time for you to start talking elections because I know you've got...
2: (laughs) I got a lot to say about elections. The first thing is I want to thank Marissa Hamilton and EasyAz.org because she was the one that was out there going to all the different polling locations. She was the first one to report that they were shutting them down either at like 4.30. They're not supposed to close until 7 p.m. Or they just didn't open them that day. And she's also the one that caught, and that's the equivalent of affidavits when you're getting somebody's witness statement at the scene of the crime, full stop. What we don't have is GOP funded lawfare and that's definitely fucking us. So the whole uniparty thing, it's true. But the other half of that is that numbers don't lie. And when people aren't getting out and voting, we really don't have a whole lot to fall back on because if everybody goes out and votes and then they cheat and they start converting votes, what they'll do is they'll look at the voting rolls and you have things that are called strong Republicans, strong Democrats or squishy Republicans. So if I voted in every single, you know, midterm and interstitial election for the last 15 years. So there's no way that they're going to pull my voter record and go, Oh, we're, you know, we're going to convert this guy to Democrat vote. If, and if I don't show up, they're not going to convert me to a Democrat vote. But somebody who is, ah, you know, I only vote in the presidential election, only the big ones, which the big ones are the local elections. But those soft voters who never show up to vote are the ones who get their votes manipulated. And then we bitch about it and we say, hit the polls. We have all these trolls. And like I put in the chat, the only thing that trolls like is to start shit and shove erasers up their ass. Don't fucking listen to them. Get out there and vote. And that way we have the numbers and we have a lot more power when it comes to influencing elections. But everybody wants to take the diet pill level of effort instead of hitting the fucking gym, hitting the street, showing up and getting actively involved. So we we lost a lot of bond elections in Arizona. Uh, the school boards waste all the money we give them. We give them more than enough money to run stuff. And then every election cycle, they ask for more money so they can squander it and we've been showing up to school board meetings, they've been doing all this ESG and you know all the other stuff that we don't want. Um, anywhere we've got active, Paradise Valley Community School District was exactly one of those places where we had legislative district in Arizona, 27, 28, 29, uh, all get involved, precinct committee men getting involved, printing flyers, knocking doors, educating people, none of their bonds passed. If you get involved, you change things. If, you, if you're if you like, oh, this pisses me off. I'm going to forward this to six other chats while I sit on my ass and eat fucking bonbons. That isn't going to do shit. So, yeah, there's a lot of crooked stuff going on in elections. But if you don't get involved and become an active participant, it's exactly going to go that way. It's just there's nothing that we can do to stop it. So all of us have the power to get involved and we choose not to. And that's on us collectively and then the second part of that is when they do cheat first of all you have to have people like marissa myself out calling the bullshit when it happens i was out during the uh the last election and i called out a poll a poll manager or what they call a uh a a polling site marshal she was taking away people's blue pens and i i'd straight up called her out on it i got uh the other election marshal down there we corrected it so we have to be actively participating in these elections. But if it isn't for people out there recording these things, we don't have any evidence of it. So we have to drive those events. And we also have to hold our elected representatives responsible. And if that means, like, if you look at Arizona, Congressional District 8, you got every fucking retard in the world running to take Debbie Lesko's spot now. It's an absolute shit show. I think only two people, Anthony Kern and maybe one other person, actually live in CD8. And then the rest of them are fucking grifters. So we have to hold these guys accountable, and I'm not an uh, advocate of violence, and I've always said that, especially p- politicians that are in office, uh, but you, you know if, if you call them and you show up to where they're, they're out there grifting for cash and standing behind podiums and pontificating, and you're calling them out and you're shouting them out and you don't let them have a single day without some type of disruption on the campaign trail, they're going to start to change their tune because it is damaging their brand. And again, the formula is active participant. You have to get involved. And if you don't, we're fucked. And then the other half of that obviously is the Democrats will sue you for anything. They don't care. We are getting zero support from the GOP. To like, I guarantee you nothing will happen with this election bullshit that happened yesterday unless the people who were disenfranchised file their own civil action against the county recorder, you know, whomever, the election marshals, who, you know, whoever it is that's culpable for, for shutting these things down, that's the only way that, that we're gonna get any relief because GOP damn sure isn't helping. So I'm, I'm gonna leave it there and hand it back to you. But if you're if you if you're on your side of the keyboard and you're only forwarding shit to other chats and you think that's helping, you're not helping. You need to get involved. every Every month when I go to our legislative district meeting, Most of the people there are over 60, which is kind of sad, but, you know, that's, I don't, I don't like the excuse of, you know, I'm old, I'm weak, I'm tired, I'm poor, I need a ride. If you need a ride, we'll give you a ride. You don't have to do much, but you have to do something more than just forward bullshit, you know, that, you know, look what this happened, you know, and and then send it to five other people that go, oh, look what this happened. And they send it to five other people. You're all just jacking each other off.
1: I think most people are just disenfranchised because they realize that most of the Republicans that are in office here in Arizona are useless. Maybe three are actually trying to do something, but the rest of them are useless. And Ben Tome is the perfect example. He's termed out, doesn't care, could give two shits, got paid. He's just riding it out. And, you know, I I, I understand both sides of the fence, but, you know, I walked away from it two years ago. After the whole debacle with uh, election day and and dealing with Kerry Lake's camp, I, I just washed my hands of it. I'm like, this is the Republicans. If you believe in the left and right, the GOP is full of left wing retards, full of them. Ronnie McDaniel's. Why hasn't she been thrown out of office? I'll tell you why. Because the very elite that run the GOP in this state and every other state they hate the base so i can see why people are like fuck it i don't i'm not doing i'm not voting i'm not paying attention to it anymore because there's no point there's really no fucking point anymore it's yeah. so corrupt it's like, so I'm broken. disagreeing
2: disagreeing with that
1: well i know you are but i'm just saying i'm just i'm i'm telling you how most people feel that most people are like fuck it the whole thing is so corrupt we're never going to win again. Fuck it, I'm not going to vote, and that's literally I, I've I've heard that now for over a year, good, bad, or indifferent. That's how people feel, and the the other side of the you know the other side of that fence is the the GOP here doesn't do anything to met. They don't message anything. They do a terrible job at pushing anything through, and even with Ducey, they they had the majority. To be able to override the governor, they didn't do it once—not once. So I can see why people think the way they do, and you know, I walked away from just being involved in the political process just from a uh, um, uh, journalistic standpoint, because everybody in that system, especially here in Arizona, at the at the candidate level, disingenuous. Well, I, I, think- I talked to probably fifteen candidates last year. I uh, uh I can't think of his name. Um God, everybody knows him too. Uh Eli Crane? No, not Eli Crane. I didn't talk to Eli Crane. I uh I crossed paths I with him but Fanny, I Borelli? No, I talked to I talked to Borelli up until last year. No, it's uh somebody who didn't make the was running for AG and didn't make AG. Um uh, Abe, Abe Hamaday got got the nomination but it was uh it'll come to me i can anyway I, I went through a myriad of of politicians that handed me off to handlers Fitch Mark they, Fitch they, they no not Fitchum nope. they called they would call me they'd want me to they want me to do a show they'd want me to showcase their candidate but it'd be a bunch of handlers and i can tell you that if they if, if i'm one of many that they did that to i can see why their messaging is so terrible because they they're they're having staff do the work for them that they should be doing to build the relationships with the media personalities that they want to push their message. Right. And and that's the other part of the problem is that you, the, the Republicans are fucking terrible at doing any kind of messaging. They're, they're absolutely awful at it. And what's their platform. Think about it. What is their platform now? What do, what do they believe in? Do they believe in restoring the constitution, restoring integrity? None of them are even talking about it. Anyway, my point is, I can see why people are disenfranchised and why they just walked away. What was it, like 36% yesterday turnout? I think it was less than that, wasn't it?
2: It was pretty lame. And I mean, but we we have to show up to vote. We have to vote. You have to do it. Just even if you're not going to become a precinct committee man or whatever, and believe me, it's a thankless job. uh, And you get targeted and no matter what you say is going to be held against you. I've had people ask if I would run for for a state office and I'm like, could you imagine me behind a podium on day 1 I would be like you're a bag of dicks next question and then that would be the end of my campaign. I mean everybody would vote for me that that would you know felt like I do but the other 80% of the world would probably not want me to be behind a podium so
1: Well Liz Harris is a perfect example of that, right? She she burned the bridge she was standing on. And she didn't help her. She didn't help herself. I mean, you reached out to her. I reached out to her. Yeah. uh, Liz Harris. Yeah. yeah, And literally got stiff-armed like, Hey, we're trying to help you. We're trying to get your message out. And she didn't want to hear it. So, you know, that's a use
2: case and how to burn the bridge you're standing on. Well, she, she has a pathological hate for, uh, Marissa Hamilton, And Marissa has no idea what the hell she's pissed off at. And apparently she, she, the, uh, apparently either allegedly, I should say Marissa made, made fun of some outfit that Liz had or something. I don't know. And, uh, and then it started this hatred, but Marissa filled up an entire bus of people to go down there to the County Board of Supervisors, not just in support of, um, um, uh, protecting her from the not the censor, but, oh God, what was it? your uh, your LD has to reelect, uh, has to select candidates that are going to re- uh, replace the legislator if you know, if if they're kicked out for whatever reason. And Liz Harris was number two on that list, I think, of of her own uh, legislative district. And so I went down there with with Marissa and like thirty other people, and I called uh, Liz the the night before. And I said, yeah, you know, we're going down there and all this other stuff. And I mentioned uh, Marissa's name. And then she just went fucking batshit crazy and hung up on me. And I mean, I, we started her Telegram channel and I was an admin on her channel for like the, from the time it started until it got big. Uh, and, and I'm like, what are, what are you doing, right? So anyway, there's that. But th- she's also under a lot of stress. and And I want to remind everybody that Liz Harris was the first one to call out. She said, what was it? Something smells funny or it smells funny. And she started canvassing and she had everybody in the world attack her. And I think that she was the first one to draw the dragon out of the cave as far as how despicable these leftists are when you're doing something that they don't like, when you're looking under the rug, trying to find their dirt, they're coming after you. And they came after her. Now, she she made it a, a strategic and she made a tactical mistake when she when she did get elected. She, I think she stepped on her own landmine, but she deserves. I still, I, I'm not ever going to not respect her for all the work that she did on election integrity and literally, I think was the catalyst for that movement in Arizona. And it may have been that she's just been under prolonged stress for so long that it finally got to her. But she she finally started getting to the point of like an old Labrador retriever where it's just snapping at flies, it's snapping at your fingers, it's snapping at its own tail. And you're like, okay, back away slowly now. So, you know, hopefully she's going to have some time to regroup. I'm surprised she didn't run for, or uh, announced that she was going to run for a CD8 for Arizona congressional district eight. I thought I would, I would do it until Anthony Kern stepped up because I thought at least one person fucking lives here uh, that would go for it. But here, here's how disconnected politicians are. In legislative district 27, that's Ben Toma's district. His own district censored him, as well as LD 28 and I think LD 29 and some others censored him. Debbie Lesko knows that. She endorses Ben Toma for her for her chair. I'm like, where the what fucking planet are you on? So. Not we have we have every single carpet bagger I, I think in the in the Arizona GOP running for uh for CD eight. So if anybody with any any moral fiber at all in your body and more than ten bucks that has at least five words in your vocabulary can run for CD eight, please do, and you'll probably win.
1: I I you what we're dealing with is the Karen Fan legacy. This is this is the McCain Karen Fan GOP camp that's still in still in power in arizona and it's unfortunately it's not going to change anytime soon and but i'm just gonna say it fuck it the only way this is gonna we're we're the only way we're taking back our country is through gunfire at this point that's the only way we're doing it and i don't i don't see how that's going to happen with when people are so diametrically opposed to one another in the same even in the same camp it's amazing to me and you know i'd like to say that that politicians are gonna are gonna get get with the program they're not you watch in 24 one year from now every seat in maricopa county will be a blue sea every single one of them they'll do exactly what they did in virginia and if people don't take to the streets then I they get what they deserve. Because there's no there's no there's no excuse why in twenty twenty two that people didn't take to the streets here. It was clear and blatant cheating. And I think had they put pressure on the Maricopa County Sheriff to actually do something, probably would have. But you know, the fact he ran roughshot, people just went up, oh, well. Sheriff's covering him. We can't do anything now.
2: You know, he's on his way out now. He's, uh, he isn't going to run again. He's already done. He's already served his purpose.
1: Anybody that runs against him, they're still going to, it's still going to be a Soros pick. So we're still going to get more of the fed, you know, the fed promoting nonsense that we have now. I'm kind of surprised that, uh um lake is going to run for senate but it is what it is well let's let's transition away from this 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 whole topic just gets under my skin let's let's move on to uh the scolson in, um, interview i know you had a lot of thoughts on it um some things that i that i didn't get to drill down on part of it was time was I didn't get a real answer out of him on the military age males coming into the country because I listened to a couple of his interviews. The first one I listened to was on Canadian prepper. Somebody sent it to me. And then I listened to him again on uh, another channel. Um, And it was about an hour, an hour and a half, just like the the one I did with him. And he talked about the, the Russia thing, Russia faked their own, their own demise. I'm not sure how much of that I buy into. Um, But, And I said to him before the show, which I, I mentioned in the show that it sounds like a lot of his premises are from pawns in the game from William Carr. And he didn't disagree with me. So he's obviously read the book. Um, I think the, the piece where most people had heartburn with was the Russia stuff. They had heartburn with the Ukraine stuff, but his point, his point about Ukraine, I actually understood not that it's, it can be reality. Especially logistically now, but his point was: the longer and the more um, engaged Ukraine and Russia are in a stalemate, the better off it is for the U.S. and our allies. And his premise is, I, I as I understand it, his premise is it gives us time to prepare. But we're not preparing. We're not surging. We're not. We're not uh, building industry. We're not doing any of that. We're just pulling from operational stock and and strategic war reserves so we're not we're not prepping for anything right now we're just running ourselves out of out of equipment and ammunition and uh we didn't get a, i didn't get a chance to drill down on that i wanted to but um, we went in a couple of different directions i was really what i wanted to get out of him is i wanted to get three things out of him i wanted to get um a synopsis of what he thought about the military-age males coming across the the border I wanted to see if he was, if he was actually talking about the Red Dawn moment, and if that he thought that was a possibility. And then I wanted him to talk about prepping, because in, in every interview he does, he never gets asked that question. And I asked him the question, but we never really got to a real answer and timeline. So that'll be the topic for the next the next go round to this. The, the The hard part with doing these interviews is that you, I have a list of questions in front of me. And he answered a bunch of questions I had, right? So he answered, "Okay, I got it." Next one, you answered that question, got it. Um, but the the one premise that the in the the elephant in the room is military age males coming across the border. And somebody posted in the channel, the Telegram channel, this morning, um, Randy Lamb showing military age males coming across the border, eight hundred of them, just yesterday on eleven. It was eleven five, I think, is when he. He eleven six when he did the the video, so it was eleven five, so three days ago, and eight hundred military age males coming across the the border. Colonel Conrad and I talked earlier today, and he said he thinks the same thing I do. You don't move those kind of forces into our country without some kind of action pending. You know, you can't just have them. To, you don't marshal forces and then just have them hang out. Doesn't work that way. So I, I don't know. But your your thoughts on that? I know you had some thoughts on this.
2: Well, the fir- the first thing is. <laughs> Joel is a, I mean he, he's a noted historian that his fluid recollection of a lot of details. I didn't agree on the his uh, <coughs> synopsis of the, the fall of the of the Soviet Union was a was a facade. It may have been planned, but it wasn't. It wasn't a facade. It wasn't like some kind of psyop. They actually had problems, and I was in West Germany at that time. <laughs> and I there's things I I think I've shared with you, I can't share here, that um I, I feel qualified to say I disagree with uh with with Joel's uh synopsis of that. But as far as his depth of knowledge on just general history and geopolitics, it's 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 impressive. And when you when you when you meet somebody who can talk about you know dates and names and times, um they really know their stuff. We we kind of think in terms of major events or what kind of transformative thing happened and how does this inform our opinion? Joel is really, really has a deep understanding of, of uh, his history. He's just drawn his own, his own conclusions, I think in, in some things that we might disagree with. Um, <clears throat> as far Which as is Melody-
1: fine, everybody's got an opinion, right? Anybody with any, you know, uh, and I didn't ask him about sources either. I, I I meant to do it, but I got sidetracked with something else and didn't ask him. But um, you know, when you talk to when you talk to to Matt Bracken, and, and then you you talk to somebody like uh, like Joel, or even Michael Yawn, the pers- the perspective is so different. It was it, it's kind of out of left field. Um, but the one that caught me off guard was the Gorbachev comment. I'd, I'd heard that Gorbachev was killed, but I I didn't, I never heard it that way. So who knows if that's true. I was, I was going to, like I said, I was going to ask him about sources, but got sidetracked. Um,
2: well, the other thing is uh, the military age males and the whole red Dawn thing. And we've talked about this. We've been saying this for a long time that <clears throat> you put in, I mean, there's a difference, but you call it the A team, the B team, but you're, you know, your tier zero conscripts all the way up to your, you know, your tier one guys or whatever. But, these guys that are in the country right now are just wait there was a big refinery in Texas that went up today. That didn't just fucking happen. That thing that thing was sabotaged. We've seen a lot of these sabotage events and I think that's where a lot of these these quote unquote military age males are I think they're trained, they're healthy, uh, they have access to resources these nation state governments can, can electronically fund them. They can acquire all of the stuff that they need from ACE hardware and home Depot to do whatever the hell they need. They can acquire weapons off the secondary market. Um, but I think, that-
1: I think there's weapon caches here. And I, I, I think that this has been, this has been staged for a long time and I'm sure it's been staged with the help of, of the CIA and probably Mossad and others. And I, I the, these guys aren't going to Home Depot. I'm sure that plant, that fuel processing plant, was targeted specifically in Texas because they see Texas as an existential threat to all of their plants. And Michael Yawn had it the best. He's, he's talked about all these corridors for moving goods, supplies, and everything else. And that's right in that corridor, which makes a lot of sense to me. And you're right, they've been doing sabotage for almost two years now, food processing, fuel processing, fertilizer, et cetera. uh, But the part that I haven't decided on yet is if if this is going to be a one-trick pony or if this is going to be sustained guerrilla warfare. I do know one thing for sure. The press will never report on whether it's sabotage or not on that plan.
2: Until until something important needs to happen and – yeah, I've said this before. If I was going to undermine a city, we'll just say the city of Phoenix because we live here, an AR-15 would be the very least useful tool I can imagine having, uh, and among the different tools I would use to accomplish my objective, which would be for whatever reason to isolate a region, uh, maybe somebody important is flying into Sky Harbor so i'm going to create a bunch of chaos around a grid to kind of contain them and then these armed guys that you're talking about are going to come in and you know neutralize all the protection and whatever the target is there's so many different ways that you could utilize the the type of guerrilla force it's just when are you going to utilize them and what are you going to utilize them for so they're they're literally buying the shit that they need you know we're like pull chemicals and things like this as far as weapons go and without a doubt, they have access to weapons, but it's kind of like the, you know, the cavalry scout creed. If you get to gunfight, that means you did your, your job wrong, right? You're not, you're supposed to get in, get some information, get out. And if you're in a gunfight, you're not doing your job properly. So these guys definitely don't want to draw attention to themselves in that sort of way. Like this idiot that showed up to, what was it? The white house a couple of days ago uh, with an AR-15 he, he was like some homeless black guy. Like he had leaves in his hair. I, I think he was probably mentally uh, compromised. And who knows if that was even a, a legitimate rifle, but you know, the news is right on it. And all of a sudden it went away because he, he didn't look very MAGA like, did he? So, okay, no big deal. But then the other guy that showed up to the white house to try to crash the gate, same thing. I think he was a foreign national. He had a MAGA something a hat or a poster i don't remember what it was and it was all over the news but then they couldn't hide the fact that he he didn't fit the narrative that they're trying to um you know they're trying to push and then we have the latest u.s army commercial which brought back the old be all you can be and who is in the back of that shit hook steve but let oh, those fine faces and those soldiers after all of this woke esg fucking bullshit, what what did you see in that army commercial <laughs> I
1: don't know i didn't watch it I,
2: it I was don't. all a bunch of white males a bunch of white caucasian males that were they, they were they were an air assault team in the back of a shit hook and they're all they're all jumping out actually they weren't repelling they were they were uh, they were air dropping and it was you know it was like the story of this young man and be all you can be and join the army and you know he's, he's achieved his best uh-huh. self and all the parachutes are in the sky there was not one female There was not one purple hair, there was not one other skin color or sex other than a white male in that commercial after eight fucking years of this shit. And whatever. I mean, with the military for me, what always pissed me off was that they weren't figuring out how to get ADA compliant MOSs. So if somebody's in a wheelchair, they can be a fucking drone pilot. I mean, you can be in the United States Army and fly a drone from Langley without legs. And they're, they're not focusing on giving people who genuinely want opportunities to serve their country. And even with like the gays in the military thing, I talked to uh, soldiers that have served since that don't ask, don't tell thing. And they're like, yeah, dude, whatever, you know, we're all young, it's nothing but a thing. And you know, we're not, uh, they're not in our world, we're in theirs. And, and so there's a whole bunch of stuff that it has changed in the military, but other militaries have done successfully. But then they started going on this fucking woke program where they went way beyond the scope of equality. And then they started to turn the army into a special interest fucking thing. They did that.
1: They did that way back with, with Clinton, right? Yeah. Don't ask, don't tell was the first
2: thing. But what I'm saying is that decision was already normalized and, and, and embedded in the culture of the army. They were over it, whatever. Uh, You know, we've, we've gone through a lot of this, like women in the combat arms and, and whatever. So, I don't really give a shit about any of that but i did give a shit about the weakening of the army where they were they were people were literally doing the same thing that a, a friend of mine's wife did when they were pregnant they didn't have health insurance they were poor so the girl joined starbucks got a job at starbucks specifically for the health care because starbucks has a very generous health care program apparently she's and uh, she worked there for like like four months And then she went on LOA and had Starbucks have her baby. And then she never went back to start, like literally used Starbucks. And I kind of laughed because Starbucks is, you know, pretty woke uh, corporation. But the United States military has been doing this too. People have been joining the military. And then even in our era, women, some women would get pregnant so they didn't have to deploy, which was I mean, we're not gonna say that a woman shouldn't get pregnant, but if you're intentionally getting pregnant so you don't have to do your fucking job, you shouldn't be in the army or whatever. That's,
1: that's been going on for a while, right? That the whole the whole point of the commercial is to change the messaging. It's too little, too late. Most people aren't going in. Here, here's the quandary they have. And I don't think it's I don't think it's um completely unplanned. I think that this is They're going through the motions to say that they're recruiting and to create a recruiting crisis because they know that most Americans don't trust the government. They don't. They most people don't want to get vaccinated. Most people aren't going to get vaccinated. Most people that were in the service that got out are not going back no matter what. And they're purposely changing the narratives around to drive their recruiting numbers into the ground. And I think it's because they want to lower the standards and bring in non U S citizens into the military in mass. I can and- see
2: that because the meme or the, uh, the responses on their Twitter page were brutal. Like uh, you know, the, the, the conservative Christian male is done dying for your fucking causes shit bags. So it's playing right into that narrative that you're, that you're talking about. So let, Let's put this out there. Because we know there's going to be blowback from the conservative right since we since we've been attacking them. Well, two and, years uh, ago
1: in 2021, a, a lieutenant general wrote in the Army Times that now the Army needs to start recruiting non-U.S. citizens into the military because our recruiting numbers are in a spiral right now, and that to me was the initial message. It didn't they didn't push the message any further because it got so much backlash, and. Uh, it's going to, I think that's going to continue, but I think this is a planned event. If it, again, pawns in the game, you go back to the book, you read about how they decimate the military. This is one of the ways they're doing it. And this whole, most of the people that are trans, most of the people that are whatever their sexual preference is, whatever their, their stated gender is, most of them are non-deployable. They're already in staff jobs. They're already using the army to pay for their health care and whatever else. And that's no matter how they put people in uniform. Let's say they they lower the standards and they bring people in through uh, through recruiting of non US citizens. When when the admin side of the house is broken, the rest of the the rest of the army is going to be broken. And there's a certain amount of inertia that happens in any institution like that, that once it starts going in that direction, it takes years to recover. And they've done so much damage just in the last two years to morale and, and esprit de corps. It will take them years to ever recover that and build a fighting force that's even close to what we had five years ago.
2: Matthew I mean, even there's whiz kids. Remember in uh, in Vietnam, the same thing. People were like, I don't want to go to that war. So Robert McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense at the time, and he's he's one of those guys that I've studied closely, but he lowered the standards. That's where the Forrest Gump movie came from, uh, or that scene, you know, in Forrest Gump when, when he was uh when when he went into Vietnam, they lowered the standards and they sent these kids out there that weren't even intellectually capable or physically capable of soldiering. And they were like, whatever, send them, right? And so we're we're kind of in the same spot. But the military had to clean up. For years after that, because you had all the burned-out Vietnam veterans that were smoking weed, and they, you know, they were alcoholics, and you had all these overweight people that weren't getting out of the army. You had people that were E1, E2, but they they had 18 years in service. They had to clean that up, and so they went hardcore on the physical thi- fitness. They, you know, they took cigarettes out of the rations. They they uh, started drug testing soldiers started doing a bunch of stuff and it it did take it took a good you know 15 20 years to clean up the military and then it was operating very well for a period of time up until i think uh the clinton administration and that's that's when the decline started to happen and then by the time we got to obama it was it was it was not the same military that that it was you know like in the first gulf war and you, we've all talked about it, the, the shoot, move and communicate, maneuver, warfare, CALFAX. These are the things that win on the battlefield and nobody's doing that. They went to technology and we're we're going to have a rude awakening as far as our our false belief, our, our, our misconception that we're always going to have air superiority or technological superiority. Those, days are, super- yeah, I mean, Those Yemite, days are gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, days are gone. The, that the the uh they
1: yeah, shut down uh, a reaper today i saw yeah,
2: it. yeah yeah over uh in uh, yemen i mean they they already stole their fucking technology they know how to compromise our systems and we have depleted our conventional inventory so oh we're gonna have to where, where the fuck are those manly men because i can guarantee you that no skinny gene wearing motherfucker from starbucks is going to show up and fight well i think that's so that's where i want to go with this so i don't know
1: <clears throat> jesus i don't know if people have felt in the last couple of days but there's a massive shift in um i don't want to say consciousness because that's not the right word i'm looking for there's a massive shift in the the culture across this country and it showed up um, on tiktok a couple of days ago and i was like holy shit, that's that's powerful and it was essentially somebody that was, and this is going to sound like an oxymoron, seemed fairly normal in their video. And I, for the life of me, I can't find it today. But this gal said, can you feel the shift? Can you feel the, the, the social consciousness shifting away from war? People are fatigued with war. They don't want to fight a war. They don't want to support a war. They don't want to be in a war. They don't want to watch people die in a war. And since this this, since this Israeli conflict kicked off, you've seen the world consciousness shift away from this this global support of whatever cause it is that they're pushing in front of us. And now you're starting to see people pushing back against it across the planet. They don't know what to do with that narrative. They just don't, because the powers that be are all they're all in. Nine thousand people dead in in Gaza. That means that Israel's all in. This I've said that I said this from day. One, this is the end of Israel as we know it. This is the start of a Palestinian state. You're going to hear two, two, a two-state solution. You're hearing that more and more and more. But that's that's where this started. And now it's progressing to this consciousness of we are not going to participate in any more wars fought by governments, fought by elites, fought by war profiteers. That's the narrative that is starting to bubble to the surface that I've seen just in the last three days. And it started a week ago with we need a ceasefire, we need a ceasefire, we need a ceasefire, and we need humanitarian support. What people have realized is that the Israelis have no intention of letting anybody from Gaza leave the area. They are going to decimate the whole population. And whoever's left, they're going to herd into a camp. And I don't see that going well for them because public opinion is already swayed in the other direction. And this is exactly what happened to the to the armed forces. They were messaging all of this ESG, all of this, this equity, diversity, and inclusion. And now no one wants to deal with them. No one wants to support them. But they're driving the population into mass noncompliance just through their actions. And I don't see that going away let me uh let me answer a question and um two questions in the chat somebody asked about red rooms um so the the red room thing if if you've never heard that before that's that's a thing and it is um it's pervasive across the planet now i'd like to say it's not a problem but it is a massive problem the other question about um, military age males coming across the border. I've heard numbers in the last couple of months, um, upwards of 500,000 uh, a month coming across. Michael Young said that by January it'd be a million people a month coming across. But we'll see how much the the situation in Panama is disrupting the flow of people here. But they are they are literally building these pathways from South America up to North up to uh, the U.S. border. I don't see that. I don't see that stopping until we close the border. That means, for the love of God, will somebody shoot Maiorkus? For fuck's sake, the guy's a traitor. Execute the guy for treason already. God. Sorry, I had to. I had to get that out. But they don't. They don't prosecute anybody for treason anymore. So this is not going to stop. Ugh. Hopefully that answers your question, but <laughs> the the other part of the uh, the other part of the equation here too is as social consciousness changes, so does support, and so does their narratives. So the I've said this before; I ha, it bears repeating. Any influencing operation you do, no matter how big, how small, how many pieces, how many people you're trying to influence. It takes a significant amount of time and you have to refresh the narratives over time to make, to keep them relevant in the public consciousness. If the public consciousness shifts away from that narrative and shifts away from any of the talking points of that narrative, you basically are stuck rebuilding the entire influencing operation every single time the public consciousness changes. So we're seeing the, the public consciousness sway away from what they're trying to message and I don't want to say they're desperate because I don't see the panic. I just see a bunch of distraction. But what I do see is changing narratives to try and win back some of the public support. And the amount of people that the federal government has put on the payroll to do influencing operations at the local level is staggering. Like the, yesterday, that that meme or that video, the TikTok video of that guy uh, at the Virginia polling station going after... Um,
2: yeah, so, the Fruit Loop. He's been identified as a known leftist. He works for HHS. But my point is,
1: my the, the point is, is that they deployed all assets, human assets, on the ground on election day. What does that tell you? It tells you that the influencing operations through the mainstream media, through radio, TV, and alternative media are not giving them the results that they need so they have to deploy assets on the ground that's significantly more expensive and more um, logistically challenging to be able to to harness all those resources and keep them on message that's why that guy was out it he probably went off the reservation because he's a true believer and i'm sure there's there's a host of true believers but when you when you disrupt their overall narrative and their influencing operation, they're having to rewrite the script as they go. It trips them up. And that to me is a is the most positive thing I've seen since all of this Israel stuff started. The other positive thing that people need to, to clue in on that I don't think people are paying attention to is that Hezbollah and, and uh, Iran have not entered the fight. A lot of a lot of countries have said they are going to enter the fight, but they they haven't entered the fight yet, and that's important because we're conducting strikes in Syria. We're conducting strike. The Israelis are conducting strikes into into Syria and in, into Lebanon, and there's conflict going on at the border. But we haven't seen any wide scale movement. That's significant because if they want a wider war then they have to influence the public that the wider war is necessary. And that has fallen on deaf ears. Literally, the American public has said to them, go fuck yourselves. We're not going to fight another war in the Middle East. That's significant. Because in all of our history, since the Balfour Declaration in 1948, since the creation of the Jewish state, we have been at their side supporting them no matter what the situation. And for the first time in history, the American public's like, we're not supporting this. That's significant because it's a trend that I don't think they can unwind.
2: There's a couple of other things working against them, too, as far as the the concept of churched and unchurched people. Um, Most people over 35, 40 years old at least went to church with their grandma when they were a kid. Most people under 30 probably never stepped foot in a church when we talk about Israel and the Holy land and Palestine and Bethlehem and all this other stuff, if we're, because of the left and their narrative been trying to, you know, taking away Christmas specials during Christmas season, don't call it Christmas season. It's a holiday season, completely getting religion out of society. Cause that's what communists want. Now you got a bunch of people like who's Israel. Like there's what Holy land. What are you talking about? God's people. Nobody, nobody cares. So you have that. But here's the thing that is really going to be bad for Israel. Same thing has happened in America. Israel is a rich, westernized country. And everybody who's young now, they do serve in the IDF. But for the most part, it's a very liberal, progressive society. And just across the border, we have people that are living in the Stone Ages. And this whole I stand with Israel bullshit. Come on. We've sent them over $270 billion so far that's that's accounted for, right? They have had a massive military superiority against all their enemies around them, plus U.S. backing, and they still haven't figured out how to work out their shit. And now They
1: don't want to. They don't want to. That's, that's Well, I know they don't want to, but the thing is with- Mossad uh, and the CIA have created all the terrorist organizations across the planet.
2: Yeah, well, the Arab world's pissed right. off. And they're not worried about 1968 Yom Kippur type of shit. They're going, you know what? Uh, we don't want these. We don't want these Palestinians in our country, but we don't want your country to exist either, Israel. And so, fuck you. And well, I
1: of- think the the salient point here, though, that I want to stay on, is that the narratives are changing in the public space, not in the government space, and that's significant because I have never, and. I shouldn't say never. In the last 30 years, I have not heard two state solution in the last 20 30 years. That is significant to hear that, not just from Arab leaders, but from and, and the to be perfectly honest, the signal that I'm watching is Turkey. Turkey is the signal. If Turkey goes goes all in and they commit troops, Israel done. NATO done.
2: And I mean Done because well, they're the closest strategic neighbor to Israel. We we couldn't we couldn't have done what we did in Afghanistan and Iraq without Turkey. So yeah, they've told we're done or well, yeah. Israel's done.
1: And that's the signal that I'm watching, right? Because the, the two state narrative, the the ceasefire narrative, the humanitarian assistance, the moving the um Palestinians out of Gaza narrative, all of that came out of Turkey. All that came out of Erdogan. So I'm, I'm curious to see which way they go with this narrative. And this is Erdogan is the one that has changed the public consciousness around this. His talking points, I hate to say it, but his talking points have been brilliant. The way he's messaged it, the things he's messaged, the things that he's threatened us with, I mean, brilliant information campaign, brilliant. Whoever is advising him is, is a fucking genius because this entire narrative is disrupting the the political narratives. I mean, it should tell you something that Hillary Clinton is back in the news cycle talking about Trump and trying to keep Yellow Man in the news cycle, and the whole the whole Hitler Trump comparison thing. They're out of ideas. They're they're out of ways to counter these narratives. And the more that that narrative grows, like the whole center thing of Rashida Talib, who gives a shit that Congress is doing. This is what you're talking about. You're talking about censoring somebody when you have a budget crisis in less than 10 days. You have at least two major regional conflicts underway right now. And this is what you're talking about? And this is what people are paying attention to? I stopped paying attention to those retards three years ago because they don't do anything. It's all a show. But the only good thing that's come out of that is the fact that because of Erdogan, the the entire talking points of the of the elite in DC are starting to move in a different direction now. And they at some point they won't be able to control the narrative anymore. And when that happens, you're gonna see them flailing to try and regain the, the initiative. <coughs> I, I don't think it's gonna happen. I honestly don't think they have the ability to regain the initiative. And the town square right now and the public consciousness is the most important fight on the planet because without that, without the American public and the consciousness, they, they, they achieve nothing. They, the only thing they'll have to fall back on is fear. And I think that's exactly why this week we saw the mill, the DOD come out with a blanket threat and blanket assessment that um, any defense manufacturer is at risk right now. Any city, any defense manufacturer. That's a significant message. Significant. And most importantly, imagine that they can't get the narrative back whatsoever. And, I, and I've heard s- several times now that their plans keep getting disrupted along the way and they keep having to re-architect their plans. Which is why I keep saying I don't think things are fully baked because they can't fully bake things. Every time they come up with a plan, the public or our adversaries disrupt them. The way that Turkey has messaged this has completely disrupted the, the town square and the dialogue of the town square. Get a, and here's one thing that I didn't agree with with Joel, Joel Skolson. He said, um, and I didn't get a chance to disagree with him uh, on the show, which... He and I will talk about it in the next in the next show, but his point is there's not in that we're not a conservatives are not a majority. I fundamentally disagree with that. Yeah, I, I I didn't I didn't concur with this assessment of that either. Fundamentally disagree with that because a predominant number of these states get outside of the mega counties. That's that one of our Achilles' heels in this country that we have to fix is that county size has to be capped at a certain level so that one county cannot dominate the state.
2: Or one county, one vote. My my thing I've been pushing is an electoral college for counties, one county, one vote. So you get the majority in your county, that's fine. That's what you vote, but you get one vote at at the state level.
1: Right. But that's one of the things we have to fix when this we get to the other side of this, right? But the point is is that I look at like Washington State. Washington State, the eastern half of the state Almost entirely conservative. Idaho around Boise, Seattle, Oregon around Portland, California and San Francisco and Sacramento and probably uh, parts of Los Angeles, conservative. But you get outside of the cities and it's conservative. We need to do exactly. We need to use Mao marketing now and do exactly what what they've done to us. And that has moved conservatives to every one of the rural areas around every single of the major cities and then cut them the fuck off. No logistics, no power, no anything else until they come to the bargaining table. And that's very easy to do. People just stop working and those things stop functioning. I guarantee you three days with a city. With no power and no logistics moving in, because who who manages most of the logistics, the power, and all of the activities to keep a city running? The builders, the conservative builders that run the show. You turn them off for three days, I guarantee you, all these cities will capitulate, and then you can start to make some real gains, right? And, and that's one of the pieces that I dis- disagreed with with Joel. But I understand his premise. I, I think where he was coming from, and and I think what he was trying to, the point he's trying to make, again, the times everything, um, was that there's not enough conservatives, there's not enough people with a selfless ser- service moral compass to be able to go restore all of these different institutions. Because we talked about it before the show, and when we were talking about it in the show, It was the context was different. But one of the things that that I said before the show was we need to staff all of these institutions with people that understand selfless service. And I think that's where he was going with it. And that's that's one of the things we have to do to restore all of these institutions on the other side or at least rebuild. Right. And that's why I think there is. We are a majority. We are. There's enough of us. That are awake now. There's enough of us that are in the social conscious in the town square that are paying attention now, to where we can move the ball downfield in the right direction, and it doesn't have to go kinetic. I, I it's still going to suck for a while. I mean, look at how many people are fatigued and broke right now. I think uh, credit card debt was reported at 1.3 trillion today. So there's a. My point of saying all of this is that is as, as frustrating as the election system is. It's again operating in a system that's already dead, that needs to be pronounced dead and presided over and rebuilt. That's that's the difference. That's the difference, and that's that's where we are. That's why I keep saying all these politicians are operating in a system that's already dead. Yesterday was a perfect example of that system, but most Americans are disenfranchised with that system, which is why it's dead. And Tripp Tri- Tri- and I will will fundamentally disagree on this. I I don't you know. I don't mind disagreeing on this one, but I, I think the bigger the bigger perspective here, and the thing to keep your eye on is the social consciousness around the planet. People are fucking appalled at the amount of death and the amount of abject violence against innocent people in the Gaza Strip. That is not going to go away. You can't message that away. You can't ignore that. And most importantly, you can't wish it away. And they've already set in stone the situation as it is, and they've lost the information war. So watch the social conscious around the planet. Watch the protests grow. Watch watch the social fiber of some of these countries in Europe, some of these countries, and some of them in Asia, too. You'll start to see the social fiber of those countries starting to fall apart because people want an end to this conflict. They want an end to warfare
2: in and of itself. Oh, and I totally agree and this is on the tail end of covid and all the other fucking bullshit these countries have pulled and now what we're going to go to world war 3 now after all this shit we're supposed to be at the end of this tunnel and and now we're going to go to world war 3 that's pretty much the the pulse of the world right now.
1: Yeah. And then the other piece um the other place where I I disagreed, um, but I didn't really um, pursue. It was the EMP and Nuke um, conversation. And I there's a lot, I'll just put it this way. I've talked to a lot of um, field grades in the last two years about this very scenario. And the reason why it keeps coming up and the reason why um, a lot of field grades and, and geos think this way is that Russian doctrine is to use theater nuclear weapons for air, <coughs> on areas that they want to hold, and they go in, and part of their doctrine is to nuke the area and then go in and clean up, and that's I, th- I think that's where that's coming from. I don't necessarily agree because once you throw a nuke into the mix, it's a persistent, um, it's a persistent deal, and it it persists in the environment for a very very long time. So I don't think anyone has a desire to use nuclear weapons, theater or otherwise. And they're yeah, going to—they're going to s-
2: go ahead. Go ahead. I'm zero zero percent concerned about an or a nuke. Zero percent.
1: Yeah. And if it does happen, we go back to the Stone Age. They—you can't usher in a new technocratic government if you nuke the infrastructure that you've spent five years putting in place. It just doesn't. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I I don't buy into the idea that Chinese China and the Chinese and the CCP and the elite and Davos are not working together. They're absolutely working together. They're absolutely coordinating, and I don't see China going off the reservation for that. And no matter what the mechanism is or what the levers are being pulled right now, I don't see nuke or EMP on the table, even as a last resort, because there's there's too much damage it does to the entire planet not just one society that it doesn't it it achieves none of their aims yeah that's a business I, I see disruptive and disruption ops going on in the country to to degrade our systems and and slow us down but if you want to own the real estate the whole point is to drive us into a situation where we have chaos in all of our cities, and then they can basically just move in or step in. And that's that to me is a more likely scenario, because they want to stoke the race war. They want to stoke the religious war. They want to stoke the, the gender wars. And today, none of those have really exploded, because most people are not going to buy into that. Just like they don't buy into the the narrative that this massive nuclear attack is going to happen and and i'll I'll answer your question here um marconi just a second here
2: guns marconi it's all about guns
1: it's <laughs> we want to i've said this before and i'll say this again we want this to resolve where the systems and the institution of the machine dissolve under our feet we go through a period of ambiguity. It goes back to the to the neighborhood level, then to the community level, and we rebuild our communities, and then we start to rebuild our states. That's where we want this to go. We do not want this to go kinetic. And if in the scenario that Joel paints, which he paints a scenario where the cities are basically untenable, you know, they're they're kill centers and and kill zones. If if there's an EMP attack, he's right. If there's a nuclear attack, people are just going to exit the city because it's going to be a radioactive zone. Neither one of those options are are tenable for the elite because they have no control. Even if they even if they nuke one city, even if they EMP one city, you're talking about millions and millions of people displaced. That that will overwhelm the entire FEMA apparatus, the first responder apparatus, and it will drive people into famine in less than less than a week those those scenarios they they're not conducive to the situation that they want to put us in they want to put us into this technocratic jail the only way they do that they need fucking power to do it you got to have power to run the technocratic state the social scoring system resolve, revolves around power you have to have energy to do that they want to drive us into a situation where we seem like we're hopeless. We're isolated. We're alone. Where they can they can manipulate us into signing up for their social scoring systems and their control grid. If you take if they nuke their control grid, they have no apparatus behind that to be able to come in and reestablish control. And yeah,
2: chaos is the antithesis of compliance.
1: Yeah. So you, go ahead. You, I, I know you got a thought on this. Go.
2: Well, the the one thing that. Joel was talking about was his his preps, right? And he's talking about building a bomb shelter underneath your garage floor and, you know, all this incredible stuff. And I think most people, their eyes just glaze over on that, right? And so we've been pushing the, you should have a minimum of 15 gallons of water in your home for person per person and large pet, and then have a goal of having five weeks of water and food. And I've said five weeks because if a disaster doesn't resolve itself, in a month and a half, either you're dead or you seriously at that point need to consider evacuating, not bugging out, but evacuating the place that you're in that will never get rebuilt again. And I could even even see going as far as 90 days, right? So three months worth of stuff. But at that point, if society hasn't returned to at least a recovery status within 90 days, it ain't going to return to a recovery status in in 90 years that something bad happened right yeah. so and if something that bad happened where you, whatever metropolis or whatever town you live in is has been completely decimated and and without any type of hope for recovery after five weeks you're you're literally probably dead because something really really bad happened and yeah the the preparing most disasters and remember that my opinion has been informed by actual disasters not geopolitical events where there's some evil bad guy and you know commies jumping out of airplanes and shit but real disasters where real people have been affected in regional situations and it's always the same thing it's the event And then everybody's in shock and disbelief. They don't know what's going on. I don't know, man. I heard something. And then the emergency broadcasting thing went off and I called Steve and and I got the, you know, all circuits are busy and there's a cloud over on the horizon. Who knows? You know, nobody knows what's going on. Right. So they start to, they start to get confirmation and this is getting ahead of the rumor. Like, oh, we've been nuked. The EMPs come, the Martians are here. People get a clue and then they start to panic. And when they start to panic, that's when they head to the stores and they do one of two things. Either they're overbuying and hoarding or chaos ensues. And that's looting, fleeing, running away. All these bad things happen. And that's where we say stay out of the conflict spaces. You want to be prepared for that. So if you already have your 15 gallons of water per person in your home and you have a goal of having five weeks of food and water, you just buckle down. And then you wait for a couple of weeks to pass by. And if the National Guard's there, the roads are open now, you want to leave your home, you want to stay, you have a clue. But the whole thing is that you were able to avoid going, you know, trying to push your, your your little shopping cart through Winco, looking for the last roll of toilet paper and then getting robbed on the way to, you know, to your car in the parking I lot. Hate,
1: I hate to break to everybody. Just we got to clear this up right away. There's no way you're going to carry enough ass wipe if you have to displace in the first place. So. Going well, to Costco. have those
2: little portable bidets, Steve. I don't know if I, if you saw those on my channel, but they're these little I, things that you. I did see those, true, but I'm just, I'm just, you know, those guys that went to Costco when COVID started
1: and oh yeah, filled their trucks and vans with toilet paper. I mean, I never could figure that one out. That was math I could never do. Like, how many dumps a day do you think you're going to take? You know, out of the normal because you're at home than you do right now. I, I'm not breaking the code on that. Especially for anybody who's eight
2: MREs, you actually use a lot less toilet paper because your turds start to turn into little clay balls. Yeah.
1: (laughs) A visual I never needed. Colonel Conrad, thanks for joining us tonight. I'm not sure how much of this you've heard until this moment, but uh, I figured I'd give you the floor for a few minutes so that you could catch up.
3: Well, I appreciate that. I'm sorry to get on so late here. I was going to say, anytime I was any place where a deployment was announced, the first thing that disappeared was all the toilet paper out of the men's rooms. And, uh, you're right. That's, uh, people like their creature comforts. So, uh, I did hear some bits and pieces from before. Uh, what's, what do you think's most pertinent? What, what, uh, what can I comment on if, if you have an interest? I, I think that the things
1: that, uh, that most people are, are interested in is our view on the, the Joel Skolson interview and, you know, Parts you agree with, parts you disagree with, parts you're not quite sure. Sure, it makes sense because I, you and I talked about it earlier, and we've, I've, you know, Troop and I have talked about what we agree and does, don't disagree with or disagree and, and agree. yeah, you get my point. That's rented lips.
3: Well, I, I did hear parts of it, and I would say, um, you know, it, it sounded like he seemed to think that there was a clear division and separation between China and the deep state. I think they're competitors, but they're also allies, depending on a given situation. And I don't see the separation being nearly as complete as as he would uh, present it to be. Um, I, I also agree with you. I don't think Russia is interested or China in getting into a nuclear exchange because you just can't control how that spins, uh, you know, a- after you cross that threshold. And and quite frankly. Um, I would not be surprised if behind the scenes people had tried to run that up the flagpole and broach that subject uh, internationally. And I, I tend to think um, that there were probably some backroom discussions and cooler heads prevailed and said, uh, what are you nuts? And uh, now that being said, one of the things he talked about, you know, I remember him mentioning mutually assured destruction and so on. I can remember coming across information that, that when the Soviet Union did dissolve, they absolutely did not, did not subscribe to the doctrine of mutually assured destruction. They had extensive civil uh, civil defenses. Uh, as As you well know, Steve, the Russians violated virtually every treaty that they were a part of uh, most especially the anti-ballistic missile treaty and uh you know i i can remember as as a child near the airport uh when they brought in the uh what was it nike nike ajax or shrites i I can't even recall some of the anti-ballistic missile systems we had and uh you know and then we we sent them away once the ballistic missile treaty got signed the russians the Russians never did that. They have extensive defenses. So I don't think they want to get into a fight, but, but we have to keep in mind that they're not going to roll over uh, because they think they keep, they think they can at least survive uh, if not flourish in something like that. So, um, you know, I did think he had some interesting points about uh, call, call it his bailiwick. um, That is to say, where to escape to, uh, as I mentioned to you, I, I I may consider picking up his book. I think that's one of the things people have to look at quite seriously. You and I as trained intelligence officers and troop two understands you look at an op order, you look at situ you know paragraph situation, one of the first things you talk about is is not just terrain but weather, And where the prevailing winds are and the effects of of all of that have a massive impact. If if bad things happen and people have to get out of a city, move move to uh, some type of sheltered place, um, not just for obvious weather effects, but obviously downstream with with fallout and uh, radioactive materials and whatnot as potential. So I th- I think I think that's the kind of thing he brings to the discussion that's that's well worth listening to, and um, if he's researched the heck out of it then good for him, it's that's uh, a good piece of turf to own.
2: Yeah, but- we, the, the feedback on that, Dave, was a lot of people, I mean, there's just financially unrealistic that people are gonna buy a cabin up in the woods or sure. you know, whatever, and so the, that's that's where I wanted to kind of pare that down is to say, not that everybody shouldn't have a bug out shelter in the woods, but most people can't afford it. So having the basic necessities and things that are immediately accessible and attainable at any financial level, that's, that's the message that Steve and I have been pushing as far as the 15 gallons of water, yeah. stand, you know, that type of stuff. So the, Totally uh,
3: agree. Totally agree. I was going to say, even if you don't have a, a formal place yourself, understanding where to go with regard to the weather, uh, you know, to a shelter, to, to a hotel, uh, you know, any kind of facility that gives you shelter. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to own it. I'm just talking about, you know, being smart with, with, uh, you know, where the fallout's going to land. Yeah. And most people, let, let's face it, most people won't
1: be able to get into something right now, even if they have the money, because the interest rates are, are ridiculously high. And I, I don't see anybody being able to afford a, you know, <laughs> five, $600,000, you know, second home somewhere in the middle of uh, Kansas, even though housing market there. The the housing market is all but dead right now. So I, I think we're past that culmination point. I think the the culmination point that we're approaching is the the financial collapse. I think that's on the horizon because I keep hearing about banks um going under.
3: Yeah, I think Colonel, I think uh McGregor uh someone said that he had he had uh broached that subject and was expecting the banks to uh collapse at some point which, you know, for me, when he made the comment about not getting to the 24 election, I thought that was pretty significant. But, uh, you know, if, if he thinks the other foot falling is the banks, that's a big deal. Well,
1: I, big I've deal. said before, I think it's going to be all at once. Everything is going to collapse at yeah. once. And I, and I still believe that. I, I honestly thought that the end of October is when they'd love to collapse the banks. I'm actually surprised that was there wasn't a financial crisis at the end of october i, I assumed it was going to happen because the, all the indicators were there
2: i think a lot of the warmongering is probably pumping air into the market right now a lot of the defense stocks and a lot of the projections on on what may come with with these conflicts in the middle east and ukraine it's probably putting a lot of wind in the sales of the market right now
1: i, I would agree it's 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 definitely added um some some optimism and I, I don't think it's going to be enough. I think, the, you know, when you I, – I don't believe in any of, the, any of the indicators anyway. Like the jobs report, what a joke. They can't even obfuscate that. Yeah, all you need to do is go out to LinkedIn and see that even in the tech industry, tech companies are laying off in mass. And nobody's talking about it. <laughs> it's like, how many more people are, are going to be laid off of – before they realize that, you know, two hundred and ninety-nine thousand jobs supposedly added to the market. Okay, where are they being added? Because I, I all I see is companies laying off. And it's it's only gonna be, you know, a few more major companies before they're gonna have to report on it. And that's the part that kills me, is they they're not even reporting
3: on it. Well, I think I think the whole job market's a very uh turbulent situation There's a lot of people looking for help looking to try and run businesses that literally have to close their doors because they can't find you know assistance to come in and, and help them you know run the show and uh so that's that's sort of the opposite because you've got you got a lot of young people that they don't really want to work and if you're getting any kind of government assistance they're they're demotivated instead right so that's, that's a pretty horrible situation from both ends. You know, one of the things that, that uh, from your your interview uh, that came up I thought was, was interesting was the timing of the situation, which I think is quite relevant. And when I say timing, I'm, I'm referring to we have two potential events. He was referring to something a couple of years down the road, because that would be more optimum for the Chinese and the Russians to get into, you know, an actual kinetic war with us. They're not quite, he doesn't feel they're not quite prepared. They haven't reached that level yet. Twenty twenty seven uh, is, is Yeah, 27. Yeah, amazing. exactly. And so, uh, what I'm saying is, you know, the other event we're looking at, of course, is November of 2024. And, um, you know that that's one of the things from my my planning background and and having been a G two plans in part, uh, planner in particular. You're looking at at threat capabilities. Um, there's there's a schism there, for our our potential enemies, and uh, that that has to be factored into threat command decision points, because. You know we talk about how far are they willing to commit Uh, you've said a couple times that you're not sure the extent of action that we would see with regard to guerrilla activity and people that have infiltrated our borders well obviously nobody knows what will happen we can't predict the future but at the same time we could be much more confident in saying um, they they'll be more hesitant if they feel they're not quite at, at the position uh, in conventional arms and conventional warfare that they'd like to be. And so that, that may factor in and, and uh, reduce their likelihood to jump in with both boots, so to speak.
1: I, I think I, I, I said that I was talking about this before you jumped on the social consciousness and the social, the social, um, the town square conversations have changed just in the last week and they're changing in a way that I don't think were anticipated by anybody in the elite circles because this, and I use Turkey as the example, Turkey has conducted what I think is probably a flawless information campaign to sway public opinion against Israel and the U S and NATO. And I think Turkey is the signal in all of this because Mm -hmm. I have ne- i don't know about you, but in the last 30 years, I have not heard two-state solution at all. And now I'm hearing it on a regular cadence throughout the media spectrum. That is highly significant. Along with the fact that you're talking Hezbollah, Iran, and to a certain extent Egypt now, are they're all paying attention and they're all at the border. That is significant. But the the more significant piece is that the town square conversation has completely changed from this war needs to, you know, this, this atrocity against Israel needs to stop to now this needs to end we're fatigued with war, we're fatigued with conflict. We don't want a war on somebody else's shore. We're not fighting your war for you. We're not supporting defense contractors. We're not going to deal with war profiteering again. All these these narratives have just emerged in the last week. That's significant because that's not the mainstream propagating those. Those are these are you know, fairly normal average people across the planet saying these things. And there's again, and I need to remind everybody there's a there's a certain portion of the population that's going to go along with whatever they say whatever they're told i'm not talking about that population i'm talking about the population that's in the middle of the bell curve and to the right that's now starting to pay attention to some of the key indicators across the planet and some of them may not know where to go for information but they're asking questions they're having those conversations and I'll go back to my visit to Napa Valley. I sat at a table with 100 fucking liberals and talk about wanting to to gouge out my hair and gouge out my eyeballs. It was not that experience. These people were all in the tech industry. They were all very, very high up in the tech industry. They were all executives, and every single one of them was paying attention to what's going on. And they literally, to the person, asked me, where do you go for information? I'm like, you can go to my channel. They're like, What? I'm like I have a, I have a Rumble channel. I talk about this all the time and that conversation turned into what do we need to do to be prepared and how do we defend our families? We're worried about protecting our families. That was the universal message of the entire weekend And I'm not making that up and that's these are liberals saying this in California this is this is a significant shift of the of the cultural conversation.
3: Steve, I agree. I agree 100%. I have people approach me on a daily basis bringing up subjects like this and uh, who you normally wouldn't expect to hear from. And uh, people are really, they're waking, they don't necessarily know what to do, but I agree 100%. There's, theres uh, I guess you'd say the discussion on the street, so to speak, is, is uh, right along these lines. And people are, are finally realizing that this things are getting much more serious. Um, you know, we're now one year away from an election and I you know politically things are going to spin up. And so it's, you know, silly season is going to start. But part of that discussion that they, they link the discussion about Trump to the deep state, which in turn gets linked back to Talking, you know, strategies for reducing the population. I get, I surprised how many people talk to me now about. Do they really want to reduce the population like that? It sure seems like it. Yeah, and, the orange uh, man Com- <laughs> Are you there? Uh, are you there, dude? <laughs> Steve, I think Steve, I, Steve, you went away. If you can hear us, you went away there.
2: So, uh, Colonel, we had a, a question. What are your thoughts on Turkey? And I, I don't know if you heard oh. what you and I were talking about before you got on, but what are your thoughts on Turkey? I, Turkey.
1: My, uh, my, uh, my connection was interdicted by NSA. Obviously, I was saying something the CIA didn't like. There so you go. Please continue.
3: No, I think t- Turkey obviously uh, occupies critically important geostrategic terrain. Um, You know, that being said, I was shocked when I heard Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who normally is brighter than this, make a comment in an interview that uh, he just wishes Turkey, he he really didn't think Turkey should be part of NATO. And I thought, my God, shut up. It's it would be a huge victory for the Russians and the Chinese to pull Turkey out of NATO. I think uh, Turkey is critical. And, you know, McGregor is talking about Turkey and he thinks they are the one element that can jump into the situation and really throttle the Israelis. But I will say this, the, the the technical aspect of this that people are not typically aware of is the fact that Turkey, along with Israel, are two of the biggest players in the whole drone warfare situation. And um, so, you know, you look at John Antall uh, has a book out talking about you know, military technology and the future of warfare right now. I was discussing with a buddy and um, Turkey, Turkey is a heavy player in that arena. They know what they're doing and they can have a significant impact. Uh, they've been supplying, you know, various people with a lot of drones and it's having a major impact on warfare.
1: It is. <laughs> and I think the other, the other piece of this too that Troop and I talked about was that, if Turkey enters the war against Israel, NATO is finished, and our presence in the region is going to be very, very
3: difficult. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky situation, and uh, I think that's one of those situations that there's probably a lot of of backroom discussion, you know, offline chatter going on because that's not something that they want to air in public. And uh, you know, I think they'll I think they'll work awfully hard to prevent or, or circumvent getting into that situation. Well, Blinken has Blinken's
1: Blinken's been to Turkey, snubbed in Turkey, snubbed in Saudi Arabia, and he went to Iraq. He fucking worried, wearing body armor in the in the C P. What, what a moron. But it, it shows you that not only is the, is the entire region snubbing Lincoln, and you, you know what his job is, go there and blow everybody to get them to support the effort. They can't even get Israel to agree to a ceasefire to, do, to move human, humanitarian aid in. That is, when was the last time that a U.S. president or a U.S. secretary of state showed up in the region and somebody wasn't listening to them? I mean, this is is the first time in a very, very long time, since the 70s, where a U.S. diplomat showed up somewhere and the world was not paying attention. And they're not paying attention. That's significant. And that's a significant um, pole shift from where we've been for the last five years. It shows you just how suspect our government is to everybody in the region because of Ukraine.
3: Well, that's that's all... Well said and true. Uh, I'll add to that and say um, we have to keep in mind it wasn't very long ago that Likud and Benjamin Netanyahu were out on the street. They, they, they were not in power. I don't think it's the slightest bit coincidental that Benjamin Netanyahu got back in power. I think that was facilitated essentially because deep state players wanted to, to uh, roll out this scenario. And i think they're going to continue with this scenario uh regardless of what what biden or blinken uh or anybody has to say with it they're trying to achieve some objectives and uh i think they're going to stick to their script so you know how much well they have to they have to you know how far off script they're willing to go i don't know but but uh, I don't. Obviously, there's no credibility or or gravitas when when Biden speaks. The guy's bought and paid for, and yeah. it's it's a very different situation than than we're used to with an American president.
1: Well, he's everybody in the world has figured out that the guy is mentally not there. So it doesn't it doesn't take much to realize that the guy's a clown show. But I I think the more significant aspect of it is the way they're snubbing the secretary of state because he usually when the secretary of state shows up, they, they are making deals in the background and they're not making any, any deals right now. And it's, it's, it shows up in the, in the, the fact that there's no ceasefire on the ground that that to me is significant. And they've, you know, Netanyahu doesn't have a choice. He's got to double down. He's, he's already in. They already they already moved in there. They're dropping bombs on people. He's got to double down. But it's it's the other side of
3: this. Steve, that... I don't mean to interrupt you, but the, the, the thing that it just popped into my head, I didn't want to forget. I sent you something. I'm not sure if it got through talking about American legislators. were now putting pen to paper, uh, drafting, drafting legislation about getting uh, Palestinians into this country, just like you've been talking about for the last two weeks.
1: Yeah, we knew that was coming.
3: And, uh, yeah, but they're they're actually formally taking those steps. I wasn't sure if you got that in email from me or not.
1: Oh, yeah, they're going to bring them in here. And how do you think that's going to go? I mean, you and I both know how that's going to go. You're going to import a a population of people that for the past 20 years has been indoctrinated into conflict. How do you think that's going to go? It's not going to go well
3: nobody else in the middle east will accept them even other arabs so i think that speaks volumes it's it's just uh you know more more fuel on the fire right yeah
1: so we're we're coming up on 145 for this um let's let's uh i know you got here late um but let's let's talk last thing i want to talk through that that i think is salient to the conversation is the conversation around military age males. Um, one thing that that uh, Joel didn't talk through was, you know, what he he sees as a red dawn moment. If, I never really got an answer to that question. I personally don't think there's a red dawn moment coming. I think there's gonna be conflict, like you said, when, it's, when the time's right, um, I don't think it's that far away. Um, but I think that's going to be aided by our own government and our own intelligence agencies.
3: Well, I, I go back to some things we talked about before. First, you're going to shape the battlefield and set the stage. So if they can develop some type of conflict or at least just as, just as effective threat of conflict, whether that's in the far East, the middle East Europe, it doesn't matter. Anything that gets our troops uh, out of the continental United States and on the other side of the globe, puts them at severe advantage compared to normal status. And you know that being said, they're going to take a look and see how things are shaping up. We've seen the, in the political polls, even very left left-leaning pollsters are, are just finding overwhelming results for Donald Trump, uh, most especially in the swing states and uh so that continues to look bad the democrats don't have somebody else they can slide in there Uh, i'm sure i'm sure they would love to do that but it's there's no heir apparent so to speak so they're in a bit of a jam i don't think they've reached any hard conclusions about how this is going to unfold i think they have certain capabilities and there are certain potentials i i think if and when there's conflict it's gonna it's going to be sometime in the summer. I think you'll you'll almost certainly see things like uh, BLM, Antifa, and some of those folks reactivated. You'll see compounding that maybe some other things designed to generate racial tensions. Uh, you know, the usual mix that George Soros NGOs like to put on our plate. I'm kind of uh,
1: surprised it hasn't happened already, Dave. Uh, to yeah. be with you. I'm but they'll,
3: surprised. they'll be doing that as an intro and that'll be followed up by uh and i i'm going to chime in with troop i agree 100 with his comments about things don't just happen we've got all these facilities blowing up airplanes flying into installations that are food processing plants um you know you got train derailments etc you've still got Uh, All that ammonium nitrate fertilizer was 30 tons or whatever from last year. I'm not sure anybody's actually recovered that, but, uh, you know, I'm sure they've got weapons caches throughout the country. So they're setting the stage. If they need to go kinetic, they'll have that. Um, I don't think that would happen right out of the gate. I think it would be ramped up because they can do a lot more damage isolating people initially and and um it's one thing to go toe to toe uh but once the bullets start flying and it becomes a force-on-force conflict their days are numbered and i think they know that so their their preference is going to be to to isolate uh cities parts of cities by uh, interdicting lines of communication rail networks all of those kinds of things getting the food off of the shelves at your local markets.
1: That's already happening. You know, that's yeah.
3: already happening. It's slow. That's a slow burn. That's already happening.
1: And I'm curious when, <clears throat> how the fuel prices are going to change now that this plant blew up. Cause I think that's again, where we disagree is timing. I, I think the timing is, is, um, and that's how I see it too. I see disruptive ops. That's, I don't see this as a, as a red dawn moment i just there's too many variables there that just don't add up and there's just too big of a landmass. i mean i look at i look at what uh the russians are doing right now in ukraine and how little movement they have. we we had a whole discussion about maneuver and passage of lines and how hard that is if they can't do any of that there's no red dawn moment there's just no way i'll just leave it that easy
3: no, I think I think, go back to what we just said about ten minutes ago in our discussion. I think the the Russians and the Chinese would be more comfortable if they felt they were a little more advanced in terms of nuclear and uh, conventional force present or force structure and capabilities, but they're they they view themselves potentially as being three or four years away from that and uh, You know, so that mitigates against that. On the other hand, on the other hand, um, you know, putting them, they're going to have to be backed into a corner to be put into a situation where it's obvious to everyone present, everyone involved, that China has literally invaded or Russia has literally invaded our country. And it's an existential threat. And so now the discussion about, okay, we take the gloves off. We talk about, if you remember the, you know, things like the neutron bomb, do we introduce biochemical warfare agents? There's a whole, there's a whole plethora of things that get on the table if this turns into an existential situation. And, uh, you know, Americans have been desperate before, and we are the only people who have actually used nuclear weapons in real warfare. So uh, I'm sure that that occupies the back of their mind as well.
1: True we final, on- yeah, I was going to say true final thoughts on the uh, on the
2: discussion tonight. Well, we for a lot of people that don't understand Turkey or care about Israel. We care about Israel and Turkey because it's really our only access to the region over there. And it can be argued, well, why do we need to be over there? Why do we need to have military assets deployed? All countries have bases, and some of the discussions that Colonel Conrad and Colonel Murray are talking about are it's, it's okay if China has a strong military, if Russia has a strong military. It's not okay if, if they're plotting to, to attack or undermine the United States. But the concept of having superpowers to control regions of the world, that aids in regional stability. Because if something happens in Turkmenistan, that's Russian's problem, right? They, they have to kind of control things around their own borders. So nobody's worried about um, a military buildup or a modernization uh, and capacity planning for, for a superpower. But the, I'm more worried about the kind of siege concept that goes all the way back to the bi- biblical times. And that is if you can encircle something and you can control resources going in and out of it, you control the people that are on the other side of that wall. And I don't see a Red Dawn situation where there's, there's a bunch of dudes jumping out of airplanes and attacking Americans. But I, I already see a siege happening with our technology, with our supply chain. And then you have the subversive activities that we're seeing, like with the, uh, the gas plant, Palestine, all these food processing plants. There's over 200 of them that have been uh, you know, burned or compromised. So we're definitely under siege. And it's, it's not so easy to say, well, you know, we'll all grow a victory garden and we'll get our 15 gallons of water, like Trooper says, but that's definitely something that we need to be doing. Um, But I I wanted to touch on one thing as far as the military capability goes and as far as the drones go. What we're seeing right now is low altitude, low velocity, low payload cots, commercially available uh, things and really not being used that well, right? There's no doctrine behind it. So I've seen them drop grenades on wounded soldiers that already had tourniquets around their legs. I mean, a total waste of, first of all, it's inhumane. And second of all, it doesn't accomplish any kind of strategic objective. If if I'm a drone pilot and I have a grenade attached to a drone, I'm not going to blow up some soldier that's already out of the fight. So we're not really seeing these things managed properly. I can guarantee you, by the time we have our uh, Defense 2024 convention, there's going to be anti-drone technology. So every everything that you see flying in the air right now, if it if it weighs less than 500 pounds, there's going to be some type of vehicle-mounted system or collaboration of systems that are going to take that shit out, going to completely obviate that. It, I mean, it's 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 happening right now on the battlefield, but I don't see those. Low velocity, low altitude, low payload drones being any anything more than a minor nuisance, um, at, you know, a year a year and a half from now. It, but they but what does that mean? They're going to start building bigger drones, right? Because we we've already had the 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 reapers and these other things, but something in between a predator drone and a large commercial drone. I think that's where this drone warfare thing's going. So I'm going to end with that.
3: Dave. Well, we haven't seen doctrines developed intensively around drone warfare you're correct uh but but equally as important we haven't seen doctrines exercised by the russians or the ukrainians and so it's it's almost a moot point in one sense that if if they don't have their act together in terms of maneuver warfare um you know the drone thing is less important where it becomes where it becomes uh much more interesting is when you start to see uh, brigade or division level assets, you're talking about, you know, large heavy organizations where you've got hundreds of, of armored vehicles descending on an objective or through a corridor or something. Um, That's much, much more difficult to counter with drones unless you've got some kind of swarm technology or weapon of mass destruction you're not going to do it with the drones so you know i think i think this whole thing much like tanks versus anti-tank guided missiles um that situation continues to you know develop and uh you know we'll see what the counter is uh, uh, troop i'd love to hear from you i don't know what you could you seem to allude towards certain things you're going to have for counter drone technology i'm familiar with some of the stuff out there and i don't know what you can talk about but you know whatever you could share we appreciate so
2: imagine a world where smoke grenades you know the grenade launchers where you put the hoffman devices or grenade launchers imagine those things having some kind of counter counter drone capability now what, one of the comments that you that you made and we've are really good at bolting just random bullshit on existing <laughs> military vehicles, right? I mean, there's yeah. like no no limit to that. Uh, but you bring up an interesting point. I I could see a a drone or a, an FPV type of um, military unit structure being involved in into the army as well, or in, into the services. That uh, I never thought about that. I mean, imagine if you had a company size element of nothing but. But drone operators and you know anti-drone countermeasure uh, technology and those and some, are
1: called those are called flak guns.
2: Well, yeah, I mean they're going back to flak, you know, uh, uh, type of flak mechanisms to take them out. But uh, a, a technical unit that is kind of part reconnaissance, part attack, part countermeasures. I, I could I could completely see that happening. Um, some of the technologies that, that that are going to be uh you know for, forthcoming or will will make themselves known but that that is something interesting to think about
1: you know it's coming i mean let's face it the 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 drone apparatus that's that spawned out of the ukrainian conflict has forever changed the face of of um warfare as we know it it's it's not going away it's not going to um it's going to only increase in intensity what i what I really am curious about is, we've seen one onesie twosies. We haven't seen mass formations, and we know that they can swarm drones because they've been doing light shows with them um, all mm-hmm. over the U.S. for the past two years. They have the capability to do it. Imagine a swarm of drones coming at a ship, or coming at a um, you know a formation, and the only countermeasure you have is basically a forty millimeter flat gun that's let's just say computer guided whatever i mean it's an interesting proposition but you're right there's no doctrine right now we're 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 probably rapidly trying to develop doctrine to to counter the threat and coming up with countermeasures to counter the threat but i think the thing to remind everybody of is the the signal right now to be paying attention to is what turkey does in the middle east and how that situation develops with the Arab states. I think that's gonna be the next tell in that conflict. As far as the situation on the ground here, expect things to stay fairly um, fluid for probably the next month and um, watch for, for more sabotage because I'm pretty sure that's that's well on its way too. So I, I as, as much bad news as there is, the cultural narrative shifting is very, very good news for everybody because it means a social consciousness is moving away from conflict. That is a very significant social change across this planet. And I, and I can't understate that or overstate that enough because that is a very significant change in the way that the culture of the planet is viewing war. And if this is the catalyst it takes to unite the planet, so be it. That to me is a good thing. For the, for the next, for the next week or so, I expect more news cycle, more propaganda. I'm not paying attention to the Bidens being subpoenaed. Don't care. I'm not paying attention to the to the elections. Don't care. I'm not paying attention to anything going on um, in Taiwan right now. Don't care. When it happens, if it happens, okay, great. Ukraine, curious to see what the Russians are doing and if they're moving and how far they're moving. Nobody's reporting on it. Nobody is of substance is reporting on it. a lot of a lot of piecemeal stories no real reporting everything is it's all israel all the time right now so watch turkey watch the situation on the ground with ukraine we'll be back on monday as always you can find me on spotify and apple on amazon on samsung god bless everyone one team one fight have a good night
3: cool wow.